You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Swung on wide to deep left field. It is gone. It went deep right. Batista's going to wave goodbye. Start the fireworks show. Hello and welcome to the Disgusting Baseball podcast. I'm Quincy and I'm here with Matt. Matt, how you doing? Good, Quincy. How about you? Good. I should probably clarify it's Matt Dallas. We have several Matts <laughs> that may come on the disgusting uh, baseball podcast. Uh, only one Quincy that I'm aware of. Uh, but here we are. We're about to head into spring training. Games are about to begin. How are you feeling, Matt? Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to watch as- actual baseball. I feel like this offseason has just been so quiet and boring. Oh, I, I just can't wait for actual stuff to talk about to happen. Since they got the first draft pick and then traded for Esteban Florial, which, you know, of course, the radio stations were talking about that for weeks and weeks. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there hasn't been a lot for Cleveland Guardians fans to get excited about. But, yes, there's great to see some pictures out there. Hey, Austin Hedges is back. Oh, I know. And he's back in every sort of Austin Hedges way, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um yeah, yeah, it's great. So Matt and I today, we thought we'd talk about some of the projections that we've seen and talk about what we see for pitchers and hitters on the Guardians. And then we're going to talk about position uh, position battles, roster battles that we should monitor as we go through spring training. Uh, so let's start with those projections. I had a chance, if you go to coveringthecorner.com, you can see I, I got a chance to look at the four projection systems and average some things out to see the average projection for different Guardians hitters. Um, so, you know, I I, I think um, some things to note there. So like your lineup, something like uh, Andres Jimenez, 109 WRC plus between the four projection systems that Fangraphs uses. Jose, 131. Josh Naylor, 120. Bo Naylor, 104, Stephen Kwan, 104, Ramon Laureano, 100, Tyler Freeman, 100. And uh, yeah, and then you have some guys that start to, uh, Manzardo's, what, 106, Juan Brito's, 97. And I think what we were trying to talk about doing for this was kind of talk about a couple of the guys, give the projection numbers, and kind of give like an over-under whether we think they will overperform or underperform relative to the expectation. So yeah. I'm cool with just going down uh, this lineup you got here plus the the bench and just talking about each of those guys briefly. What do you think? Sure, yep, yep. Cool. All right, so leading off, we got Andres Jimenez at shortstop uh, with a 109 WRC+. plus. I'm assuming that'll translate to a heck of a lot of F war given the defense that he plays. If he can turn something in like that, Quincy, are you higher or lower on Andres Jimenez at the plate this year than a one Oh nine? Yeah. And I should clarify that uh, Matt just said at shortstop, because for this lineup, I was just trying to put what made sense looking at the top WRC pluses that would be available. And because Tyler Freeman had a little more defensive flexibility, I put him as kind of the super utility guy and had Juan Brito as the starter, essentially the starter. So if Brito's starting, then Jimenez moves to shortstop. Same would be the case if Freeman, I think, is starting, or even if Rocchio, Jimenez should probably move to short. Uh, Arias would probably be the shortstop over Jimenez. So just to explain that, 109 WRC+, plus. I think I'd go slightly over, but that seems pretty close to where he is. I like Zip says 114. That would be my comfort zone. 
Yeah, I'd like I'd certainly like to see him there. And I think he's very capable of doing it. But I think 109 is actually a pretty decent, uh, decent number for him. Because you really got to think like he's he's probably never going to be what he was in 2021 again when he puts up like a what uh, 145 2022 yeah 2022 yeah. you're right you're I right I wish I wish that would happen again but yeah that's probably not going to happen but what we did see was <laughs> um quite a bit of regression to the mean for him in a good way at the end of the year last year he really turned it on um bunch of those uh Babip incidents uh, started to favor him instead of the pitcher in a couple of those situations. And he uh, he also started hitting with some pop towards the end of the year, which was nice to see. He really thrived. It seemed like once we moved him into that leadoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking today about, I don't know if you saw Jason Lloyd, right? For the athletics saying that Andre Simenez is a natural left-hander and he's learned to throw right-handed. Um, so I just I feel like whenever I hear those kind of things, I'm like, yeah, I feel like he'll probably figure out whatever is he's not figuring out at the moment. You know, I just yeah. And if you <laughs> watch what he was doing last year in the beginning of the year, it looked like he was just over tinkering with his swing, yeah. and it, it kept be, the refrain kept being like, "Hey, just go up there and be natural." Um, and it seems like the message kind of set in at the end, and you know, could be good for him. You know, get a full year of, "Hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this game." Yeah, and if you at the beginning of the year, I know one of the things is that his strikeout rate cratered, and I kind of suspect it was because that that was a bad thing that he probably should be taking a little more risks and swinging a little harder. So I suspect that you might see that happen. All right, then Jose at one thirty one. Yeah, um, gosh, I I almost want to feel say lower purely because I'm looking at the the on base percentage and slugging percentage they have here of three fifty eight and four ninety five. And I don't know. I, last year was not super encouraging for me. There were times when it seemed like the the shine was starting to wear off of Jose a little bit. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. He's possibly my favorite Cleveland Guardians player ever, right? So I'm I'm certainly rooting for the guy to blow these numbers out of the water. But I don't know. It he looked mortal at times last year. Yeah, I, I think I suspect that. In this year or 2025, I feel like one of those years we're going to get the Jose Ramirez like MVP numbers one more time. I think he'll have one more of those seasons before it's all said and done. But if I had to bet, I'd probably put with with which hit, excuse me, which with his uh, third base defense, that is, I mean, that's absolutely still a all star level player. You know, he's just not in that top five player in the game conversation anymore. Yeah, but uh, hey, he can prove me wrong for sure, and and, get... and he likely will. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't bet against him. I don't know if you've seen him in camp. He seems like maybe he's been hitting the weights pretty hard over the off season too. So, <laughs> gosh, they all have. I mean, Jimenez looks yeah. big. I mean, those quads on him. Tyler yeah. Freeman put up the Jim Tomey power neck yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, more on him in a bit. All right, how about Kyle Manzardo at 106 WRC plus for a rookie? That would be pretty amazing. Look, that would be amazing for a rookie. I I feel like if he got a full season's worth of at bats, I think he'd be in the 115 to 120 range. I really well, do. I think he probably, he, um, he probably won't, but he he has the the walk rate to and and the slug ability to really boost up that's those stats that really factor into WRC plus and OPS plus really highly. Um, I just, I think the dude can just flat out hit and he's got an unbelievable approach. So I think he's really going to blossom the minute he gets, uh, handed the reins. 
Good to hear. I, I think the only real doubts I have about him is he hasn't hit lefties very well, but again, that doesn't necessarily, you know, if, if you're like an 80 WRC plus against lefties and you're, you know, 130 against right righties, that's more than fine. So, and it, and it bears mentioning you've got, you know, De Los Santos, you've got Loriano and you've got David Fry on your bench. And if you DH Manzardo against lefties, you could, uh, you could really kind of manipulate yeah. that to give him, uh, ease him in. Right. I'm not saying he's a platoon guy forever, but you know what they did with Josh Naylor was they didn't expose him to being an everyday player right away. They kind of helped him ease into being a guy that hits lefties. Yeah, that's yep. Great point. Uh, and speaking of Josh Naylor, he's projected for from the four uh, projection systems for a 120 WRC plus. Gosh, I mean, there's just no way he can sustain the batting average that he was last year right i mean it seemed like he was from the time he got past that initial slump he was carrying like a 350 batting average which obviously the iso then kind of scales from there but gosh that feels right on the money for for what he should be but there's this part of me that wants to say better yeah i think if i had to bet i would bet that he'll be higher but i don't think it'll be by much i think that's i think we're on the same page that that's pretty close to what it should be but how about his brother, Bo Naylor? Overall, they've got him at 104 WRC+. plus. So I think this is the one where I'd say I think he'll be higher than that. I'm pretty confident he'll be higher than that. Uh, one more quick thing about Josh I do want oh, to sure, mention. Yeah. Uh, it You have it here that it's got his projection for his on-base percentage at 338 and his slug at 468. Mm-hmm. I think the on-base percentage seems accurate. I think he'll slug a little bit better than that this year. Yeah, I think he's going to no. start. He's, he showed he was kind of lifting the ball a little bit more towards the end of the year. I think he'll have a few more extra bases. I think uh, that's a great note. Yeah, I'm glad you came back to that. So, Bo but, at 104, uh, I'm, Bo, I'm above that, I think. I think I'm above that, but, you know, I think I need to remind myself, too, that a catcher with a 104 WRC plus that plays above average defense is a very, very, very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it feels like I know what he can be and I'm a little biased towards him, like, gosh, if that's what they're putting him in at in the projections, I feel really good about Bo Naylor is I think my takeaway from that number. A hundred percent. Right. I guess the thing for me, and it, it, here's the thing, if you would have told me last year before Bo came up that the projections would be saying 104 WRC plus for 2024, I'd be like, that's an amazing projection. I'm thrilled. I'm surprised. But just having watched him last year and the eye that he has at the plate, like he is he is so disciplined and you could see the adjustments he was making in real time. Uh, but he and he did it pretty much how he's done every level of I just think he's really good. I just think he's a really good hitter. And I agree. And that 325 on base percentage looks low the way that yeah. he draws walks. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, think- there's. I think the 406 is low too. 406 slugging. I, I agree. Slug too. And yeah, quite I, frankly, he's getting a whole off season of knowing exactly what his job is and not having to do this whole let's over focus on the defense. Cause I honestly, something I remember being a little bit of a narrative amongst people was maybe the reason he struggled out of the gate hitting was the refrain with him was just defense, defense, defense all year that when he came up, he wasn't putting as much time towards hitting because he was so focused on getting the defense to where it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I do think that it could be I I would say I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's sitting around 120 WRC plus, which would be pretty darn exciting for a catcher. Um but I realize like 104 is great like you said, so no problem if that's the case. Uh Stephen Kwan also projected for a 104 WRC plus. 
I think this is right on the money. Like I, I really do. I think that if you if you look at about a 104, what was he as a rookie? Like about a little over a hundred. I think. Uh, oh, as a rookie, I think he ended up around 120. 120. So, so better than he was last year. Mm-hmm. Not as good as he was two years ago. I think that's right on the money for Quan. Um, you know, maybe a few more extra base hits because um, he he did seem like he was kind of learning how to turn on that inside pitch and, and drive it a little bit at the end of the year. Like to see him keep doing that, but I think. Uh, 104 seems like a, a really good number with him. I'd, I'd probably err maybe a little lower, uh, closer to 100, but that's about where I see him. Yeah, I agree. 104. Uh, his his rookie season, he was a 126. Jeez. Oh, that's great. I wish we get back to that for sure. Um, uh, but and who knows, he may. I certainly wouldn't count him out, but it, it, the slugging is definitely where the projection systems and myself have their doubts. He's projected for a 351 on base percentage, which is great. Um, and he'll take that for sure, especially with gold glove, gold glove defense. All right. How about Ramon Laureano projected for an average year, 100 average major league hitter, I should say 100 WRC plus. So my question is, is the projection assuming him as a full-time player or as a platoon bat? Well, it depends. That's a good question. And it depends on your projection systems because some of these uh, projection systems project him for 500 plate appearances and some project for 300. So it depends. In general, they're all pretty close to that 100 mark, though. So Yeah, I just don't know that I see him playing that much. I think he'll be, I mean, he might get into 100 games just through pinch hit appearances and stuff, but I, I don't know if I see him hitting against righties that often, especially with, when you look at the um, cavalcade of outfielders that are going to be cycling through throughout the year, I'm, I hope. Um, so if he pits more against lefties, um, I think he could be a little bit better than that, but I think the more, um, traditional playing time he gets outside of the platoon, um, the, the more that number starts to look accurate. Yeah. I'm understood with you. I do think that, um, the way the roster is looking right now, I think he's probably going to start the season as the full-time right fielder. Cause I don't see how they're getting Brennan on the roster with all the other things they've got going. Um, so that, that'll probably push the number down a little bit if he has to bat against a bunch of right-handed pitchers, like you said, uh, but we'll see. Uh, then I have our, uh, Juan Brito, who obviously isn't going to open the season with the team, but it, it is interesting that the four projection systems have him at a 97 WRC plus, uh, averaged out. So what are your thoughts there? A kid can hit. I mean, a kid can just hit. And quite frankly, if we're seeing enough at bats of Juan Brito to where he's actually got, you know, real sample size data out there to, you know, evaluate, then I'm calling that a win in and itself, especially if he's at or around big league average in doing so. Um, just seeing him up here this early uh, would be awesome. And it would really speak to what they think of him as a player with how young he is and, you know, how quickly they fast tracked him. Yep. Yep, I'm with you. I think that sounds about what I would expect from what I have seen of him in person and also um, in the, the off the stat sheet. One thing I'll note is that they're projecting him for a 373 uh, slug. And he Juan Brito is your typical uh, pulled fly ball king. Uh, so I think like Isaac Paredes, who would definitely not be a guy that you project uh, projected to uh, hit a lot of home runs manages to do it because he pulls a lot of fly balls. He hits more than you might think. I think that's what you could probably expect to see Brito. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, once he settles in, he's a guy who slugs 400, 
and you know maybe more than that but 400 even this year if you got the chance so you could push it up there a little bit yeah so next we got esteban floreal with a 90 wrc plus with a 303 on base percentage 382 slugging percentage that's that slugging sounds pretty good from from what from a center fielder considering I was, I probably should pull up what the Miles Strauss slugging was last year just to don't do that to on. yourself Quincy. <laughs> so uh, yeah I mean if you can get uh, good defense in center field and a ninety wrc plus I think you feel really good about that it kind of looking at that it kind of makes me think of Bradley Zimmer doesn't it like that was always a little dream. bit but you know what I almost call me crazy. I think he's going to exceed that. I'm not saying he's going to do what he did in AAA last year, but I think Floreal is going to surprise some people. Um, I mean, dude's clearly very talented. He was in a terrible situation in New York. Uh, based on what Terry Pluto was saying and a couple other interviews, it seems like he's the guy, right? They're going to give him a chance to to get some run out there. And, you know, we sure thought Jose Ramirez sucked for about three years there, didn't we? Yeah. Not saying he's Jose, but I I don't know. He's just got enough talent that, you know, we got burned the last time we traded away the guy that could run like a deer and hit the ball a mile outfielder types, Mm -hmm. you know, with Nolan Jones and Will Benson. I'm willing to give Floreal a shot and and believe in the talent. Yep. Uh, I'm with you. I, I, I think it'll be great for a young player like that to be handed the keys, hopefully, and say, hey, prove us right make yourself a starter make yourself indispensable um you know with him it's always that end zone swing and miss he's got uh, i i think if i remember right his end zone swing and miss is somewhere around where gabriel arias is where it's like you swing and miss way too often in the zone and that can be hard to fix but it also can be something where the small sample size of his major league performance is just overstating how much of an issue it might be for him. So we'll see. Uh, and just to clarify, his projected slugging here is about a hundred points higher than Miles Straws was for the past couple of years. Uh, all right. So then the bench here, uh, your boy Tyler Freeman. Overall, the four projection systems have him at an 100 WRC plus, 333 on base, 374 slugging. What are your thoughts there? I got to get those numbers up, man. Uh, <laughs> look, I not to go too much on a soliloquy here. So I won't, uh, he's going to slug better than that 374 number. I'm not saying he's going to hit 15 home runs, but I think he is going to rope some doubles this year. I think he's going to be camping out kind of in the low, uh, 410 to 420 range at, at the slugging percentage. Um, and I think if he were to actually get some everyday playing time, you'd start to see the player that had the highest overall prospect ranking of the three middle infielders in the system until Keith law ranked Rokio 13th. Um, Freeman is still a guy with a lot of talent. He's clearly working incredibly hard. Um, and I think if he got a full shot full season, um, he would exceed those numbers. I hope that Freeman, honestly, I hope Brito too, but I hope Freeman, Arias and Rocchio and Brito are all getting a chance to say, Hey, you guys could really come out here and win a job in spring training. Uh, if you really show us what you're capable of. Not necessarily, of course, results aren't what I'm talking about. Performance in games isn't the end-all, be-all. It's what they see from guys in terms of work ethic and what they've done in the off-seasons, the work they're putting in the backfields and the cages and stuff. But um, 
so yeah, I hope that he gets a chance. I wouldn't be surprised. He just he can hit. He can really hit. So I would not be surprised at all if he's above that hundred WRC plus. So yeah, I think those are probably the main ones to focus on. I I guess uh, one that I'll mention is that overall the projection systems have Davis and De Los Santos at seventy seven WRC plus. And the thing is, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, that's probably about right for a twenty year old who's only handled double A. One thing Brian Heminger, who writes for Covering the Corner, pointed out that I, I guess I had kind of missed is that Dale Santos was like a core piece of a double-A team, the, those sod poodles, uh, in, in winning a championship, and he absolutely destroyed in the playoffs. And uh, so that kind of made me pause a little bit to say, you know, maybe there is something a little bit more there with him, and especially if they're going to just deploy him mostly against left-handed pitching, you know, maybe he could he could surprise us all. And especially, you know, when you hear that Jose took him under his wing and everybody just rooting for the guy, I mean, that, that can mean something to a young player, but certainly wouldn't put more expectation on him than that 77. For sure. Here's the thing though. Um, just based on how this whole thing works with the rule five, if the zips projection is accurate and he gets 499 plate appearances, I think he's a lot better than the WRC plus that they have him at, if that makes sense. Like yeah. they won't give him 499 plate appearances if he's putting up those kinds of numbers. Right. <laughs> For sure. yes. So it's, yes. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where if he were to even play at all, he would by nature kind of have to exceed the expectations. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can, we can talk about, I think the pitching we can probably handle a little quicker, but not to go too far into a position battle thing. I think that the whole De Los Santos thing is for me one of the most interesting storylines of spring training are they really planning on you know like is he pretty much cemented into a roster spot in the team's mind um is you know and if he is how are they going to handle that during the year it, it you know you can't just have a guy rot on the bench but you also don't want to put him in a position where he you know falls flat in his face when the team's trying to win baseball games uh, i just think it's so fascinating to think about yeah, I mean, it really is because he's such an interesting case because they also almost never take chances in the major leagues on guys this young. Like, mm-hmm. I think Jose was the last guy that got called up this young. And again, I'm not trying to make any kind of comparison there. More just to say that, I mean, usually 23 is kind of the target age for even their top prospects. So mm-hmm. this is a, it's such a unique pick for them that you almost can't imagine they would just do it for no reason. Like, I, I got to yeah. think there's some kind of plan with him, but I, I just, I'm with you. I, I can't quite see what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it The thing that constantly puzzles me, like I, somebody today was talking to me about like, oh, can they put both him and Manzardo on the roster? And for me, that's not really the issue. It's having Austin Hedges and Miles Straw and De Los Santos on your bench. And David because- Fry potentially. What's that? Oh, and David yeah. Fry. Well, David Fry, I mean, that definitely, like, I don't see how they can fit them all in. That would be great to have Fry mainly because if he can be third catcher, that makes limits the amount of Austin Edge's plate appearances late in games you have to see. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like when you have Hedges and Straw who are not hitters, they're other things rather than hitters, it's awfully hard to take and three of your four bench positions up with people that you really can't expect to be major league quality hitters. That's just, so I don't know. Um, all right. Well, just, uh, real quick. Uh, I know I had four pitchers that I highlighted and if you want to mention anybody else, 
um, for ERA plus. So those are a hundred is league average. Uh, for ERA plus, Tanner Bybee is at one ten, and Gavin Williams is at one oh two. And so Matt, being a little bit of a pitching expert, what do you think about those numbers for a couple guys that we're really counting on to be there for the team? All right, this could be an entire solo podcast in itself. Um, but what I will say is I think Williams's number is spot on. And I think Bybee's going to exceed his pretty significantly. Um, you know, and, and again, from everything I've heard, these are all great kids and stuff. And so I, I don't want to like pick on him too much, but I, I worry about Williams long-term a little bit, uh, maybe a little lower on him than most Guardians fans. And I think the big thing with him is I worry about how well his stuff plays if he's not in that 98 to 99 range with the fastball, if he's more 96, 97. Um, whereas like Bybee, if, if he woke up tomorrow throwing 92, I think he'd be fine as a big leaguer. Um, and with Williams, uh, it, something in his mechanics, he's he's pretty rigid. Um, you know, he's going to have back issues because he uh, just doesn't quite have some of the flexibility uh, that, that you need to be a pitcher. He doesn't move down the mound particularly well, in my opinion. Um, but he's been doing Pilates and yoga in the offseason, so maybe he uh, he picked up on that. Uh, but what I will say is, um, I think he's his floor is a good is a good pitcher. Uh, Bybee, on the other hand, made a mechanical adjustment this offseason um, that is really interesting to me, and in that he shortened his arm action even further. Um, not quite to the extent that like Bieber or Savali have over the last couple of years, uh, but what it did is it made it so that there's less total movement, which means um, less chance for something to go wrong, right? The, the less you're moving your hand, the higher the chance you're moving it to the same spot every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he can do that, he'll one, be more efficient and can throw a little harder, but mostly he'll be more repeatable and therefore have more command with the fastball. And I know for those of you who watched Tanner Bybee last year, fastball command was his big thing. If he can command the fastball, the sky is literally the limit for him. So if he is throwing the fastball where he wants it to go, he is going to be putting up, um, you know, probably like top end Carlos Carrasco type of numbers um, from cookies prime is about what I would expect for him this year. Nice. I'd love to see it. Sounds good to me. Um, And then a couple of uh, relievers just wanted to mention uh, interesting projections for James Karachek and Nick Enright. Uh, Nick Enright, who returned after being rule five selected, uh, both of them projected for 112 ERA pluses. So any thoughts about those guys? I guess, you know, one thing that I'd say is that I think the projection systems tend to be a little higher on Karinchek than I and a lot of others are. Uh, and I think that's just because we've been able to see how much he seemed to struggle with the pitch clock. And we're also aware that he was pretty heavily into the sticky stuff. Um, and he's trying to figure out how to make it work after the sticky stuff cracked down on the pitch clock. And he's yet to prove he can do that. But he certainly is capable of striking guys out still. You can see that. So I, I don't know. I find it unbelievable that he could hit 112 WRC, I mean, ERA plus, but I definitely would go under on that. I, I do um, find it unbelievable that he could do that. I mean, his there were reports of his velo being way down in AAA at the end of the year, plus coming into camp with a sore shoulder. I think we might have seen the end of James Karinczak, uh as a regular contributor in the Cleveland bullpen. I really do. 
The shoulder fatigue definitely is something that's concerned. I guess I I had missed that he uh, his velo was down. Yeah, he was. I went to a couple late season AAA games and he was down to like ninety one, ninety two on the stadium oh, gun. Boy. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, if he's there, I mean, guys are gonna be teeing off on him. Yeah, well, in that case, definitely way under on that. I mean, I would have said that I would guess that Karen Check will probably be around an average major league pitcher, but that's definitely looking like below average if that's the case. Uh, then I don't know. Have you seen much of Enright? I was trying to find some some video of him because I don't. I, I I last time I saw him was in Lake County. Um. So, uh. But you know, he's got some interesting underlying numbers, uh, and I, maybe an arm to keep an eye on for the future. Yeah, I'll admit he's not a guy I know a lot about based on um, the little bit I have seen. Um. I I want to say under, but it's because there's a projection that's higher than I'd expect. He's a guy that just kind of like raises an eyebrow for me of maybe someone I need to look into more, especially because he's a younger guy. Um, But, you know, it it also concerns me a little bit that they let him go in the rule five, right? Granted, they have plenty of bullpen help, but um, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious about this one. I'm going to err on the side of saying lower, but it's, it's a crapshoot with young relievers. Yeah, it seems safe. I think, we're all kind of expecting in general that if you have a young reliever breakout, it's probably like your Tim Heron, your um, uh, Franco Alleman, uh, and your Cade Smiths of the world. But it, it is interesting to remember that they do have some other uh, other arms of interest down in the minors. And um, and to keep an eye on those kind of guys like Enright and some other folks. So, yeah, and uh, don't right. forget some of our uh, our top end relievers too, like Eli Morgan and Sam Henches. They were starters coming up through the minors yeah. their entire time, right? We had that entire draft of entirely pitchers, and not all those guys can stick as starters. So you're going to start right. to see a lot of those. Uh, relatively highly picked guys start to transition to bullpen arms here pretty soon. Great point. Tanner Burns, Hunter Gaddis. Um, those are some other guys that I'm interested to see out of the bullpen. Maybe even Ryan Webb. Yep. Yep. Ethan Hankins. Yep. Great points. Great points. Well, let's uh, take a look now at the position battles and roster battles we're looking at in spring training. We already kind of covered a little bit of that, that last bench spot, which is either going to be De Los Santos just carried there or some of the other names that we mentioned from fry uh you know and how they're going to figure all that out with hedges and straw because obviously you do need a middle uh, an infielder so that maybe leads us to talking about andres jimenez's uh double play partner that's how i put it either somebody playing short or somebody playing second and jimenez moving over to short so what are your thoughts, Matt, right now, besides hand the keys to Tyler Freeman and let him drive? Um, what do you what do you kind of expect to happen? Well, I know I know I have a reputation for being a Tyler Freeman truther, so I will uh, I will refrain from uh, going too far down that rabbit hole. But what I will say is um, I have always been of the school of thought that we have a shortstop and his name is Andres Jimenez. Mm-hmm. He is the best shortstop on our roster at any given moment. And that's where he should play. Now, granted, if you have a Gabriel Arias he's not a guy that you put at second because he can't, you know, show up or he can't uh, add value with his arm over there. Um, So he's the only one where I would justifiably keep Jimenez at second base. However, with Arias, granted the numbers against righties, absolutely stellar, but a 0.083 batting average with 54 strikeouts and 108 at bats against left-handed pitchers is 
almost immediately disqualifying for me. Like if you were that player for any stretch of time, I almost kind of immediately go, I I, I don't get it. It's bizarre. I mean, uh, I don't get it's the right word because I, I'm very tempted to say it's just a weird small sample size thing because it's still only 108 play appearances, but it is so bad that you're like, there's something going on and we need to have an answer as to what that is, you know? I mean, he that's like worse than what Mike Zunino was at his lowest point. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's concerning, right? And especially because the, the on-base percentage was something that we thought was going to be an, a big thing with him. And he wasn't walking all that much. He str- I mean, obviously, the strikeouts were crazy, but um, I don't know. His, I mean, defensively, he's unbelievable. He hammers right-handed pitching. Um, and the, the ceiling is obviously sky high. But also, we put up a 350 BABIP against righties. So you got to think that'll yeah. come down a little bit, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, defensively... Uh, you know, it's one of those things you look at numbers and then you kind of have to, it's the one spot where you kind of have to use your eyes to some degree too. The thing I'd say about him defensively, arm absolutely off the charts, range very, very good, but he can be a little not so smooth with the glove. I don't know if you've noticed that, like transfers and stuff can be a little bit not so smooth, but he makes up for it with an amazing arm. So I guess where, you know, I, I would say that like I, I truly think that if if Arias can make it with the bat, that you could be looking at Arias and Jimenez up the middle as as good defensively as Vizquel and Alomar, like that good because Jimenez is that amazing, and Vizquel is probably a little overrated. But um, yeah, probably going to get hate mail about that. But I just think they could be that amazing up up the middle. But I just don't know about the bat. It's he hits everything into the ground. He swings and misses too much in the zone and he chases a lot. Those are three things that are awfully difficult to overcome. And then you add in is for some bizarre reason, unable to hit left-handed pitching. And that's a lot. Right. And I don't want a, a, a platoon shortstop. That just feels like, yeah, nobody does that. Exactly. Except um, maybe the raise. I don't know. <laughs> although granted, uh, you know, you brought up uh, Alomar and Omar. One side of that, uh, that double play pairing couldn't hit either, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, true. Yeah. Um, they won a lot of games with those guys. Granted, uh, Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez are not in this lineup. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, uh, hopefully, we won't see Arias batting second every game. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, so and, and then we talked a little about Freeman. We talked a little about Brito, uh, Rocchio. I know you know. There's a lot of talks about him too. One thing that is a little concerning to me is that. I've I've gotten consistent rumors about his defense not being great and not being what a lot of people thought. It seems like maybe he's had a little trouble figuring out how to be the shortstop he was when before he gained a little muscle, a little size to him. So I wonder if he's also a guy you might have to try to do at second. He can obviously he's got great range. Arm isn't very good. Uh and but then he's got some glove issues here and there from the games that I've seen him as well so honestly i i don't know that i necessarily agree on the glove i i you know granted he had a couple errors but you know i could go back and point to um like he had a ball just scoot off the turf in a really weird way one for one of them and um most of the defensive miscues i saw from him were with the arm especially late in the season but if you were to put him at second base and you've got the smooth motions there on the double plays um the crazy range he has where you're not losing Jimenez against the, the shiftless left-handed pole hitters. 
I don't know. I think like that, that's a really good option. My big concern with Rokio though, is um, there's not one special thing about that bat. Mm -hmm. And that's concerning. Yeah. Yeah. Because his special thing should be contact, but it, he doesn't make that special of a contact rate where it's not like Stephen Kwan level contact where you're like, Oh, we can forget about the fact you can't seem to hit the ball for any power. So I followed him fairly closely in Venezuela's winter league. And one thing that I noticed is almost, I would say 60 to 70%. I didn't count them, but I was just kind of eyeballing it. 60 to 70% of his outs were outs made in the outfield, like fly balls. So I think he was pretty clearly trying to hit the ball in the air more. He only ended up with two homers. He hit several doubles. Um, so I'm interested to see if if that kind of shows up in spring training. Not, you know, again, not looking at his numbers saying, oh, look, he's hitting 400 or whatever. But just seeing if he's making some outs in the air and getting some balls, maybe getting some balls to head, to get out of the park in Arizona. But I think that people are right to be skeptical. And it, there's a variety of tools uh, for him that aren't necessarily special. Um He's not a great base runner, not super fast. So he does have to figure out the pull fly ball thing that he did in double A and start to do that a little bit more and shore up the defensive issues. For me, not so much the major league stuff. I've seen him a good bit in Akron. He can sometimes seem like he loses focus. And, and I, I know that there could be a variety of reasons for that, but I just want to see him real locked in because I think he's capable of being a very good shortstop and an excellent second baseman. So, yeah. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think if I had to pick a guy right now, honestly, and, and I'm not just saying this as a, a Tyler Freeman fan, I think you you ride it out with Freeman with the really high floor. Um, and then if he doesn't work, you pan it over to Brito. Brito. Um, but I think the issue with that is that um, obviously you've got two very highly touted players in Arias and Rokio that you have to give a shot to or you have to trade. And it doesn't look like they're going to trade him. I would I would just feel so much better about things. And we haven't even mentioned Jose Tana, who's also an interesting player, hardworking kid who really went off in AAA. I would just love to see them. I, I would feel so much better if the beginning of the season was, hey, Tyler Freeman, you're the second baseman. Andre Simonez, you're the shortstop. And Brian Rocchio, you're going to get plenty of playing time at third and second base and shortstop where we can. And Gabriel Arias and Jose Tena, we have traded you for this or that, you know, rookie level prospect. One of them, at least, would just make me feel so much less anxiety about the whole thing. But I think we all kind of expect Arias to get the first shot. Right. Now, I'll tell you this much. If I'm trying to be the best team I can be for the next couple of years, I'm putting Gabriel Arias there to start. Yeah. But if I needed to hit the ground running and win games immediately, the answer is Tyler Freeman. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, I think we probably don't spend a ton of time talking about center field because it sounds like Florial is going to get the the shot to be the main guy in center field with with Straw helping out and being the bench guy and maybe playing being like Shane Bieber's personal center fielder or something. That's what it seems like from news coming out of camp, and I think we're all happy to see that. Uh, what about right field? Do you are you with me in that it kind of seems they're lined up to have Ramon Laureano be the full time guy there to start off? 
Yeah, I think now, granted, if it were me, I'd start out with a Loriano Brennan platoon and then, you know, give Brennan a month or two. And then if he doesn't work, um, hopefully Valera has, you know, done what he needed to down in triple A and can come up and take over or just Brennan takes it and runs with it. Um, but it seems like the reports are all that Loriano has the right field job and it's his to lose, um, which granted. You know, I don't love him against righties, but man, does he hit lefties. And I, I do think that we all wonder if maybe the getting the Oakland stink off of him might help. Like that that oppression of, you know, that whole situation there in that city and that can't hurt. Yeah. Hopefully that might help a little bit. I just yeah, I just can't see like because obviously whoever you have your shortstop or second baseman, and then you have your utility infielder. And then you have Hedges and Straw, because I don't think we can expect they're going to get rid of Straw yet. Straw is going to be there. Hedges is going to be there. So there's one more spot. And as far as I can see, they seem like they're set to carry Davis and De Los Santos for now. But is he going to be the guy that's going to start every day? Because it's probably not going to be Kyle Manzardo to start off the year it starts like. So is it David Fry and Josh? That's kind of. I mean, what for I all we know, maybe. you know, when you deal with that early in the season rotation where you get the the early days off that make it so you can skip your five starter. For all we know, they only carry, uh, you know, twelve pitchers right out the gate, and you know, keep their normal seven man bullpen and carry an extra guy. Who knows? Like they've got yeah. room to get creative. All these guys have tons of options. That that would be just so different from what they've done the past few years where they're like, oh, we need all the pitching we can get. And we want to start the starters out a little slow and have yeah. a bunch of arms to throw at them. But yeah, the unknown of Steven Vote is just so yeah. interesting because I'm curious how much will be front office driven, how much will be him driven. If it's driven by him, what are his little idiosyncrasies with the roster? I, it's going to be that's going to be the fun thing to watch this year is his his like decision making as a manager. Yeah. Yeah, it will be, and it will play into a lot of these decisions. I think those are the main roster things I wanted to cover. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they fill out the bullpen, but I I don't know. Yeah, Unfortunately, I, I'm not I, – I think you and I are the same here that we don't really expect Carlos Carrasco to make the roster. It's I really hate to, to say it, but I agree. Yeah, it's great to have him in camp and uh, and obviously amazing just to have him around the team again. And His, Here's that. hoping it immediately becomes a coaching contract the minute – it's not a playing contract. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great if he doesn't make the team, you know, I don't know if there's an understanding that he's like, well, if I don't make the team, I might call it quits. Then in that case, you sign him for a day and have everybody cheer for um, like opening day or whatever for him to come back. That'd be great. But I kind of don't expect him to, to make it. You know, I, I think I, if I was to say a non-roster invite, I, I'm more interested in Berea or Zuber. Um, one of those guys, maybe making a push, but, um, you know, there's a lot of other arms that are on the roster that have a good shot to make it. I, I, I'm excited to see what Tim Heron can do in year two, a little bit of experience under his belt. And we have Scott Barlow, which until we started recording this podcast, I had completely forgotten about. <laughs> it's been interesting. I, I will wrap up here, but it's been interesting to me how many times that I've heard people, I think Antonetti and turn off maybe and, and vote talk about how Barlow being here means they don't have to use class A as much. And it kind of seemed to be like they're saying that Tito maybe overused him uh, to what the degree that they wanted him to. But Tito overused a bullpen guy? What's that? I said, what, Tito overused a bullpen guy? (laughs) 
And I can't blame. I mean, if you have a manual class, say it's like I'm going to pitch that guy. It's the win button. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, uh, but nice to have a guy. And uh, one thing I noted too is that Barlow has really good numbers in high leverage late situations. Nice to have in the bullpen, right? right? I think I think that is part of it. People are like, "Well, is this a, a, a big doubt thing about Trevor Steffen?" Or you know, hey, De Los Santos and Barlow's numbers aren't that much different, and Angel De Los Santos. And the difference for Angel De Los Santos and Scott Barlow was Angel De Los Santos struggled every time they put him in the eighth inning, and that may or may not continue. But Barlow definitely has the amount of experience in the eighth and ninth inning where he's handled those situations very, very well. So I, I think that gives him a sense of confidence to say, hey, we can plan to have Barlow close a couple times a week and feel pretty good about that. I agree. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been great to discuss. I'm sure in the w- couple weeks ahead, we'll have some more fun things to discuss and, and uh, some insights into the roster in the year ahead. So everybody, thanks for joining us. And make sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all those nice things. Anything else you wanted to say? 